so there was this woman, and she was uh, <clears throat> on an airplane, and she's flying to meet her fiance, sailing high above the the largest ocean on planet Earth, and she was seated next to this man who, you know, she had tried to start conversations, and the only, really, the only thing she heard him say was just to order his his Bloody Mary, and when she was sitting there, and she was reading this really arduous magazine article about a third world country that she couldn't even pronounce the, the name of and she's feeling very bored and very despondent and and then uh, suddenly there was this huge mechanical failure and one of the, the engines gave out and they started just falling in 30,000 feet the uh, pilots on the on the microphone and he's he's saying I'm I'm sorry I'm sorry oh my god I'm I'm sorry I'm apologizing and and she looks at the man and she and she says she says she says where are we going and uh and he looks at her and he says we're going to a party it it's a birthday party it's your birthday party happy birthday darling we love you very, 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 very much. And then uh, he starts humming this little tune, and and uh, it kind of goes like this. It's kind of one, two, one, two, three, four. We must talk and never telephone, get eaten off the web. Must rip out all the epilogues from the books that we have read Into the face of every criminal strapped firmly to a chair We must stare, we must stare, we must stare We must take all of the medicines too expensive now to sell Set fire to the preacher who is promising us hell Into the ear of every anarchist that sleeps but doesn't dream We must sing, we must sing, we must sing It'll go like this, all right. Whatever. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, so you guys ready? I'm totally ready. All <laughs> right, so uh, welcome. This is, I believe, episode number 44 of the Here You Are Wasa podcast. Oh, no, man. Fuck. Come on. Didn't was we I, talk about this last time? Was Stop. I close? Was you're I close? the owner of, no, you're in the 40s. You're in the 40s, probably. Right. I, it might be number 50. I don't know. I'll have to look. Okay. So this is episode number whatever the hell it is in the 40s. <laughs> and uh, and I'm one of your hosts, Dino, and I'm here with my main man. This is Dino's first time on a podcast. Apparently. I, I'm Eric. <laughs> <laughs> and and we, we brought our friend uh, Ben along for the ride tonight. Yeah. Yeah. What's up, Ben? Not much. I'm I'm watching my wife do homework right now, so that's super enthralling. Um, and my dog just joined us, so nice. she's she's hanging out. It's our first dog on the podcast. Yeah, um, and, and she's I don't know. She wants to go to bed, but we're not ha- we're not you know we're young and wild and free yet, so. I owe Dino an apology. It is number 44. Oh. <laughs> you doubted me. I knew we were getting close to 50, though, still. I, I had gone back just because we had talked about that other the millennial podcast today. So that's I was on the website, and I'm like, oh, yeah, look at all this podcast. And then I re-listened mm-hmm. to the millennial podcast, and I'm like, holy shit, was I mad in this podcast? 
Um, Man, that's such a, it's such a good one though. And you know, it's actually really daunting because now I've got 43 episodes to catch up on. And it's like when you first discover Ryan Adams discography and you're like, where do you even start? And like, I I have that same feeling of overwhelmed. Like, I don't know where to start, but I think I'm just going to start at the beginning and work my way through them. Oh God. The Ryan Adams biography or the Oh no, I did I'm I'm way into that. I mean, yeah, I did that so, with a so good dose tell of us, depression. So we're talking music, clearly. So where would you start with something like a Ryan Adams biography? Um you 1989? know. <laughs> well that'll get you kicked out at Carnegie Hall. Um <laughs> I would start personally. I'd start at his last record, Prisoner. Um, that's where I'd start. But I'm I'm an anomaly. All my friends I talk to, they like they're big fans of Ryan Adams, and so am I. But I think Ryan Adams and the Cardinals is the best. Ryan Adams. Not a big Ryan Adams fan, but I would agree that wow. if I was going to listen to any of them, it would be those records. Wow. Not a big Ryan Adams fan. I. I'm actually a Ryan. I'm sort of a Ryan Adams anti fan. Is it because he's such like a flaming asshole? No, it's actually not. It's because um, because of all the shows in we'll say the last five years um, that I've gone to the the show that I went to. I went and saw him in Milwaukee. It was the most disappointing thing that I'd ever that I'd seen in the last five years. No and way, he, really? Yeah, and it's and it's this thing where. And part of the problem was uh, I at at the same time I'm not a fan of Ryan Adams because of this horrible performance. I also blame him for the fact that Butch Walker, who I am a giant fan of, was, I love Butch Walker, was opening, and it was one of those things where it just seemed like somebody had tied a rope around Butch Walker's neck and wasn't letting him be Butch Walker, and it was. And the thing is, it was interesting because it was the build-up to um, the Ghost record when Butch's old man passed away, and so Butch wasn't all the way sad, but he wasn't. He was. He, there was. He was absolutely lifeless, and which is super weird because like right. Ryan Adams produced that record. Like yeah. let the let him go, you know. Right, and so it was. It was the most lifeless I've ever seen Butch. And, uh, and so I, I just sort of like, I have, I have a habit of blaming other musicians for the poor performances of musicians. And so I blame, <laughs> I, I blamed, I blame Ryan Adams for stifling Butch Walker for an entire tour. And I don't, I don't think that's accurate, but at the same time, Ryan at the, the amount of dudes in golf shirts at the Riverside to see Ryan Adams was appalling to me. No, that, you know, it doesn't surprise me, though, because when I ever I tell someone, like, I'm a Ryan Adams fan, they're like, oh, you listen to dad rock. And I'm like, well, I'm a dad, so that makes sense. So, yeah, I guess, like, whatever, if that's what you want to call it. But then it's always like, he's such an arrogant asshole. And I'm like, and I don't have a defense for that. Like, I'm like, yeah, he kind of is. Like, he's a pretty big jerk, but I like his tunes. Right. And, that, and see, that's the thing, like, on record... His records are amazing. His songs are really, really good, and you can't you can't shit on his output. But at the same time, wow, it's just like it's really, really not my thing. Like it's that's that's a bummer. Yeah, because the thing is, like, I I really sort of think that Ryan is 
like I think music comes down to sort of um, like the the head and the body or the head and the heart, those sort of um, binary choices. And I'm Ryan for me feels like a dude that's in the head and in the heart. Like he he is overtly witty and he's overtly you know well polished and he's overtly you know unique. And it, at some point, I just want him to remake the rock and roll record again and go, yeah, okay. I just I like I like electric guitars. You know, I think that I'd there's. Be- there's something I'd be totally to be, game for that. Right. I think there's something to be said for for that, you know, and I think that, yeah, like I, I've seen him live two or three times and every time it's really sort of it just comes off as very, very cerebral. And I'm like, yeah, not for me, you know, so. Huh. Oh, yeah. You sorry, were... Eric. I forgot you were nope. an Adams fan. No, that's all right. I, I figured this is what was going to happen. The two of you were going to go <laughs> off. I think so. Tell me about your history a little bit, because I don't think that you were always the Ryan Adams type of guy. No, I wasn't. Um, well, where do you metal, want me to? You were, you were a metal guy, right? Yeah, I mean, heavy and, metal, heavy hard metal, dude. Yeah, to an extent, I still am. Um, so I don't know. Where do you want me to start? You want me to start when I was like five? That's my first musical memory. Go on. And that was, sure, sure. Yeah. Let's touch on that. Yeah. Well, so that was the Cars, right? Like the first song I remember falling in love with was the Cars. Let's go. And nice. I, I turned up my dad's radio in our kitchen that had carpet in it, and he yelled at me for it. He told me not to touch his radio, <laughs> which I was pretty bummed about because I really liked I liked that synth. You know, it was like down, 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 down. You know, that cool synth. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so as as now I grew up in a house where my dad showed me the best music only. So, I mean, we're talking like Neil Young. Like I grew up on Neil Young pretty much, and um. So I, and when you're a fan of Neil Young, you get a taste of everything. Like Neil Young is the grandfather of grunge and like punk rock and, you know, but then he sits down and he writes a song like Sugar Mountain, you know, or whatever. And um, so I grew up on all of that and really did not understand it then. Um, I didn't start understanding all of that stuff until probably about five or six or eight, somewhere in there years ago. And um, so initially when you're growing up, like your parents show you this music and that was like, it was, it was Neil Young and um, Crosby, Stills and Nash and Young and, um, you know, uh, Fleetwood Mac and Johnny Cash and uh, the greats, you know, and like I rejected that uh, essentially. And I, the first music that I really fell in love with is as embarrassing as it is to say was like, you're, you're you're kind of like radioized pop punk, like Blink-182 and Green Day. Um, and as like a 10-year-old kid discovering Blink-182, like that is the ultimate like F you to your parents. And like my dad, I mean, my dad was just like, what is this garbage? And I was like, it's not garbage and it's not a phase, dad. Like this is who I am. And... I got into that stuff, and that stuff led me down into the darker trenches of, like, bad religion and the descendants and, you know, all of that fun stuff. Um, Annie Flag and, like, 
rancid and all those bands and then from there you peel that layer away and you get into like the crow mags and operation ivy and the unseen and just all those like you know really intense punk rock bands and then from there i discovered emo and and like and it started out as like probably what you'd consider like the third wave of emo um which then led me to the second wave which like the 90s so you got like basement and braid and you're kind of getting into the hardcore stuff and then like from there i peel that back and now i'm into fugazi and like rites of spring and things like that so and then that led me to like i was never really into metal like slayer or anything but like it led me into this like hardcore scene which uh, growing up in the Marawasa area at the time, like that music was really big in our local community. So like I just attached to it. And then, um, and then now here I am, I'm 30 next week and I'm back to like, I listen to a lot more folk and kind of revisit. Like I've been into Bob Dylan's discography a lot lately and, Things like that. So that's a that's a short version of that history. That's how I've that's how I kind of progressed through the music years. But yeah, there's a good chunk of time where I spent a lot of time in hardcore bands and kind of like dirty rock and roll bands. And we were, I think, we were called a metal band. Yeah, like that's what we were. What'd you play? Um, well, so I've the that's kind of a hard question to answer because in those bands, I didn't play anything. I sang. Oh, okay. um, yeah, so in a lot of those bands, there was a short, brief stint there where I played bass for a little bit in, like, one of my early pop-punk, like, cover bands, but then we got a bassist, so, like, I didn't need to do that anymore. Um, I've played guitar on and off since I, since I fell in love with music, since I started being in bands, and um, probably didn't start really taking guitar seriously and, like, actually writing my own songs, though, until probably, like when I was like 22 and then I started like sitting down and picking apart my own music and, and things like that. And at this point I always say, I'm not really good at playing anything. Um, I can play a little bit of everything. So like the record I'm working on right now has, you know, harmonica on it and it's got guitars on it and it's got, um, pianos on it. Uh, so I can pick something up and I can play on it. I can't tell you what, what I'm pl- what key I'm playing in, or if I'm playing in the right key, but you know, Bob Dylan sang in the wrong key for his entire career, and he worked out just fine. And you're recording it, and what I think is interesting is you're recording it in with folks from around the nation, right? It doesn't go further than the nation, but you're recording oh, yeah. it in parts and bringing it together, right? Yeah. So um, I didn't know that was a thing. I think that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's all just done through Google Drive. So, um, I mean, my bass player is like 10 minutes down the road from me. Um, But we've written a record together and I haven't seen him in like eight months, I think. So, um, so, yeah, and my brother's in Chicago and he was contributing guitars to it. Um, And then he, uh, so he was doing that and... um, the the guy I was gonna have drum on it um, was in Gleason, but he he flaked on the on that. So I bought a drum machine, and which has worked like infinitely better for me, anyways, because now I don't have to argue with the drummer. Like I've just never had a 
had a had a fun drummer in my whole life. So um, now I can just do it myself. We know somebody out of Madison. Maybe she'll come up and play for you. Cool. Yeah, I know a couple of guys down in Madison who bang on the skins every now and then. Yeah. Have you ever been? Have you ever recorded like that with anybody, Dino? Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a strange experience to sort of do it, but. I think that it's more common now than than I'm sure. it's probably ever been before. I mean, like, I think uh, one yeah one of Henry's records, Chris's Chris was in England, and uh, and he he re- recorded the master guitar parts in England and shipped that FedExed them to California for us, and so yeah that was I mean that was weird and it it really was sort of kind of against how the guys wanted to do it, but I mean, he was in England finishing up his doctoral work. So that was just what it was going to be. So I, you know, I think, I think it's more common, like, you know, like I, I watched, uh, one of those horrible Pantera behind the musics and, you know, they're like, yeah, Phil's in Texas or Phil's in Louisiana and he won't come to record. So he's just mailing us his vocals. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's really, I mean, it's really sort of advanced stuff. You, you got to really have, you really sort of have to either be one like Dillinger escape plan and be really loose or you have to be tight and sort of pre pre-structured as fuck because you know if you get something strange in the mail then all of a sudden you're like well this doesn't fit you know cuz all of a sudden time structures become really really important oh man yeah and like that's the toughest thing is like like I had a so I had this one guy contributing guitars and to be honest I let this whole thing get way away from me. I set out to make like a Bruce Springsteen Nebraska esque record and like all of a sudden I had this full band of people and I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like what this is not what you were supposed to be doing. And so but like I recorded a song in 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 three fourths timing and like my a buddy of mine who was like trying to learn the guitar part was like dude don't don't play it in that timing and i was like well not like no like that's just what it's gonna be man like that's just what it is like i played it and then i put a tempo behind it and it's three fourths so like i'm not gonna try and relearn that now and and like when you're just piecing these pieces together it it can get tricky like it, it gets super tricky especially when you're not all using the same daw like you're not all using the same software and you're just trying, you're trying to pull random files that maybe aren't in time or whatever the case is. It's ridiculous. Also, I love how you just like talk about Henry Rollins. Like it's no big deal. Sorry. Yeah. Name, I mean, yeah. Name dropper. <laughs> right. Well, no, I didn't, I didn't drop a name. I just, no, I, I'm just kidding. Right. Just... Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's really cool and really brave to, to take it on because, you know, like, uh, I mean, you, you've been around long enough. Like, the guys from Pony made my favorite, my all-time favorite Central Wisconsin record. And they made it up in the UP. They rented, uh, an ab- like, a, not an abandoned, but a, yeah, an abandoned high school, we'll say. And they And they brought in just hundreds of musical instruments. And they just layered upon layered upon layered upon layered stuff. But it was like they took the time to figure out how to do that. And it's just such a musically dense thing that, you know, plus they're they're dudes that I've seen play a bunch. So I'm like, yep, I really like this. You know, like 
the the audacity to sort of take on you know 15 to 17 overdubs on a six minute song yeah i'm i'm cool with the fact that you tried that you know that's um yeah and like that's funny that you mentioned that because like as i was getting notes ready i put down pony as one of my local favorites and yeah. like those, i've been watching those guys play since before i could drive and um that, so it's just awesome that you bring them up because I I love Pony. It was one of the it was some of the first local shows I'd ever gone to, and like at the time the the drummer was the singing. Yeah. And I was just like, "Are you freaking kidding me? Like, is this is this happening in front of me?" And everybody was like bumping into him like right in his face, and I was just like, "This is amazing." Um, but like that that's that would be my dream to do what Pony did, like get a group of people together and go rent a cabin somewhere and 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 just come out with a record um but for right now with all of our schedules like at least like it's really me and the bass player like we're the ones who are really driving everything and our schedules are just so crazy that like email has to suffice for now that's fascinating that's what that's what fascinates me about radiohead is the layers of it all different oh, different music yeah. but i mean if you if you just sit and listen to it, it's just astounding sometimes the amount of it's amazing and when you get into mixing and mastering those layers like there are i mean you can i've gotten lost in just trying to find the right sound for a for like a foundational synth like line that like probably to the casual listener listening through their iphone nobody's gonna hear and but like i'm i'm in that sucker and i'm like should it be at negative 5 dbs or should i have it at like negative 15 dbs and like should i compress it a little bit more so people can hear it or should i just leave it where you know and it's like and then you come out of that and you're like oh man yeah i spent like 90 minutes trying to figure out that whole synth line and like nobody's ever going to hear it oh the 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 act of mastering is such a an amazing an amazing craft it really really is like just sort of watching amazing guy dudes who who aren't producers and aren't engineers they they just work on mastering records it's whatever they're hearing whatever weird sort of dog whistle sounds that they hear in their heads i've no i have no idea like i've sat with just amazing dudes and i'm like i don't know what you're talking about I've I've no I literally don't know the words you're saying. They yeah. don't connect to anything in my head, you know. So. Well, like, so why do it? Where where's it going to come out? I mean, if you can't, if the average person listening in iTunes isn't going to be able to hear it, well, what, it depends why? on why you're making music, right? right. I mean, True. it depends on why you do it. Um, I mean, if you listen to somebody like Neil Young, like he's he's a psycho about that kind of stuff, right? You know. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a difference between, um, you know, kind of lossless audio or, or analog audio. There really I mean, there really is like I again, this dude I know, Henry, just had a just was on a, a I think it was in like stereo file or audio file. They came and did a story about his home stereo. And, you know, it's. It's a million dollar stereo with speakers that ha- that take a week to install in his house, and so oh, yeah. like that sort of thing. That, at that level, that's completely different. When you're trying to, you know, like trying to sit down and like I, I've got some really cool like Stooges stuff or you know 
like board recordings from from strange shit and you're like okay i want to try to I w- i'd like to have speakers that i can hear what was happening and yeah you know i'm i'm not a snob about sort of you know i iP- or earbuds and all that sort of stuff but there 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 is a difference i mean there really is and it's not it's not for everybody you know like you're not not everyone is going to he- want to hear you know the the difference between you know the one soundboard recording from the left channel or the right channel of you know led zeppelin's houses of the holy you know those yeah. are, you know that's a level of sort of music nerdery that is sort of i think it's beyond that when you when you pay $600,000 for speakers you've crossed over into some sort of weird line you know so yeah like you're not just casually putting a record on at right. that point yeah. like you're just you know and that's and i'm i i can't get into that world it's one i can't afford it and two like i i am more of um and and it, i i enjoy the experience of sitting down and listening to a record more than i pick apart and look at it from like an audio file point of view you're a big vinyl guy too so there's yeah. a huge experience in that yeah i really like i mean and and that's just honestly it's you know like i was just i was actually just talking to somebody about it today and they were like well you can't tell me vinyl sounds better and i'm like i i didn't and i won't tell you that but like um i enjoy it more i enjoy um flipping a record i enjoy holding it and looking at it and i especially enjoy being able to pass it down to my children um because what am i i can't handle my iphone you know i can't be like oh hey here's my iphone and here's my Apple Music library, and like just kind of have at it. Like none of that is meaningful. So like, my record collection is super intentional, um, and it's records that I love, and that you know I can sit down and I can listen to the whole record through, without you know skipping a beat. And then on the f- also to add to that, once you start listening to 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 records on vinyl, I think that they make more sense as far as like track listings and stuff go and sequencing of songs because I've had records that I've listened to on my phone forever. And I'm just like, yeah, this is, this is a fine record. And then when you start getting into side a and side B and you start realizing why they're sequenced the way they are. And like, you realize like, Oh, side B kicks off with song six. And that's such a cool way to like start the next half of your record. Like it just kind of takes on a whole different meaning for the record, at least for me. So I've actually found that I've been, enjoyed more records once i buy them on vinyl just for that just for that fact nice hey dino how's your 2018 goal going because your goal is to buy a record a week right yeah so nice the the goal like i and it's there's there's a sort of a bunch of layers to it like one is you know mike capista is is a friend and i realized i hadn't bought a record from him in two years that's fucking horrible like that's that's money to my friend and uh and so it was it's this this idea of sort of um protein listening you know some some friends sort of coined that phrase where like you're talking about it's it's intentional it's not just okay i'm just gonna hit play i'm gonna hit shuffle on my ipad and hope that it's all right you know it's like okay nope i'm gonna do a deep dive into 
you know, Chicago, Chicago power pop for two months, you know, and I'm going to reach out to the guy who founded international pop overthrow. And we're going to talk about sort of what, what these, what the important records are and I'm going to buy those. And yeah, so I've bought, yeah, I have, uh, tomorrow after work, I'm going to go see Mike again and buy some stuff that I'm not familiar with. And that's, it's important because I was, I was like, I, I think I have a pretty good ear and I think I have a, I think I have a very good, you know, music collection, but at the same time, I think I was, I was pretty stagnant, you know, sort of, you know, listening to, I'm like, I'm never going to, I'm never going to finish my CD collection ever. And so I should stop pretending that I'm going to work my way through it and just sort of, you know, make sure that I am listening to what I want to listen to. Yeah. And that's what I, yeah, no, that like me, that's, and that's awesome. I, I have three people I go to, I go to Mike, and I go to a guy down in um, Stevens Point. I can't remember his name, but his shop is um, Radio Chaos or Chaos mm-hmm. Radio, something like that. Yep. Um, and then the antique store, um, the the record room, which is supposed to stay on the DL. So I won't give too many details about that. But the record room has proven to be super freaking awesome so far. <laughs> so I really enjoy that place. Nice. Yeah, and so for like, there's that documentary about um, hip hop DJs and DJing in general, and there's you know just a long section about dudes who digging, digging for records, and I'm like, I used to dig for records, like that was a thing that I did, and yeah, and I and I don't anymore, you know. I mean, at some point, you know, I I have a ridiculous music collection, like I I'd put my MP3 collection up against anybody in the entire world and but i'm never gonna get through like i'm i'm literally never gonna get through all of my you know prince music just it's yeah. it's an it's an impossibility you know when you have whatever like two hundred thousand print songs that's that's hard to do you know so uh-huh. you know but no absolutely at the same time it, you know like you were talking about how you know you like to buy up records and like I, I remember the first time I said I'm going to be a comprehensive co- collector of something and uh, it was I made the mistake of saying I want to buy everything Johnny Cash ever recorded. Oh, OK. Well, that was 82 records at the time. Yeah. And I'm like and that, and that was before Deaf American and, and him and Rick got together and I'm like, oh, god what am i doing and it's and you know, some of those records like i mean i love johnny cash but man some of those records suck oh yeah like, like, like holy shit johnny but, you really lost the plot here but at the same time if you again like it's that thing if you look at him if you look at him academically you can see where like oh okay he he came off the like Johnny discovered golf and what the fuck is he singing about? You know, it's like, yeah, hey, yeah. His, he had a baby this year. And OK, so he's just on this record. There are no songs written by Johnny Cash. You know, it's just sort of that sort of thing. And it's like, yeah, that sort of di- deep dive is is really cool. And it, it it's you know, it's it's hard, though. Like it gets expensive. Like it was I want to get everything Johnny recorded. It was literally one summer, I'm like, I want everything Johnny recorded and everything Willie Nelson recorded. And I'm like, that was a gigantic financial hole. Oh, my gosh. You yeah. know, because it's like and it for for me, it was Willie Nelson had just recorded the song or the album um, Spirit, which was an incredibly sad record. And I'm like, I want 
more of this because I don't know what this is, but he does sad songs better than anybody I've heard. So I want, you know, more of it. And you start digging in and it's like, okay, so then all of a sudden now I want all the Highwaymen records and I want, and then, you know, I'm friends with oh. Jesse Dayton and Jesse worked with uh, Waylon Jennings for a long time. And I'm like, oh, now I really have to pay attention to Waylon Jennings in a new way. And it just, you know, you sort of start, and, and having worked in music as long as I did, you sort of, it sort of starts to spiral out to, okay, I know this guy, and let's track down everything that guy did, you know, so. Yeah, speaking of um, Waylon Jennings, I'm actually on the market right now for Live at JD's. Oh, yeah, I have it. And, oh man, I cannot find that record anywhere. I've got one more. I've got one more stop to see if I can find it. But like, I even went out online after I checked the local places. Yeah, can't find it anywhere. So I went on Discogs and I couldn't find it there either. So if anyone, if anyone comes across an extra copy of that, like I am here for it. There's uh, what's that place called in Madison? Um, they they let you send in your your vinyl collection and they give you cash or credit or something for it or no they digitize it and send it back i think they they would be a good resource to have for that plus is it flip disc it might be i think that might be it because i know that okay a couple of years ago i sent them i don't know 200 pounds of cds and they sent me back a, a thumb drive full of music so that was kind of fun nice yeah that's super easy i gotta find something to do. i haven't done that with any of my cds yet but yeah so, Dino, when you say, and I, I think I understand the term, but when you say you want to get through the Prince songs, for yeah. instance, what does get through mean? To, to, I, at this point, it becomes actually hear them all. Okay. Like, they're, like when it's, it's this thing where, you know, my, my friend Scott and I are comprehensive Prince fans. And, like, it's – we have – I know that, so for example, the the 1994 tour of Japan and South in Asia, we have all the soundboard recordings and all of the sound check recordings. And the, nice. and the thing is, it's like, okay, so that's a lot. That, that becomes wow. this sort of a lot of, of things to hear. You know, it's not oh, yeah. like the, the amount of, like we also have, or, also super psyched that like i have uh i don't know two dozen prince after party live you know recordings so you know so it's like okay so after the shows he would go and and dj a set or he would go and play a set of his own music or something like that but he would just like he would do it for a smaller crowd and you know having those recordings it's like i want to get through that stuff and that's part of that is just kind of you know, at some point finding the time, you know, to, to say, okay, I want to listen to everything Prince recorded in Osaka, you know? Okay. So that's, that's a lot. So, but yeah, it's just, it's literally to hear everything. You sure. Know? Did you ever actually go to any of those shows of Prince's? I, I mean, I, Park? I, I have, I have, I've seen, I saw Jesus. I saw all of the East coast dates of the musicology tour. I saw, um, I don't know, probably 10 Paisley Park shows. I saw two of the white shows in Paisley Park where we all had to wear white to get in. Um, and he wore white. Um, 
Yeah, I've I've seen I've seen a bunch. Now you know he's one of those those cats where you just go, yeah, it's okay to cash in my retirement because I want to go see this. You know, like yeah, the musicology tour. You know, I was like, I think that was the last time I like actively slept in a car like a teenager. I was, you know, in the Carolinas following him around, and it was it was a different show every night. And it was like, yeah, okay, this is this is worth it. You know, seeing seeing Third Eye Girl was, you know, kind of groundbreaking. Any rare shows for you, Ben? Uh, no. Stick with you. Um, I mean, shows that stick with me is it's the the first show I ever went to, which was a local show. I mean, so it wasn't anything special. That, but that's the show I always talk about. Um, I mean, I saw. I don't get to a whole lot of them anymore. We got to do better at it. Uh, the most recent one that I was really blown away by was I saw I saw Brian Fallon play in Minneapolis um, at the Varsity Theater, and that was Brian Fallon like ranks up there for me. So that was really good. Um, and then I did go to the inaugural um, Eau Claire Eau Claire's Fest, uh, the festival over in the Chippewa Valley there. And I saw the national play there, and I'm a big fan of the national. So that was um, when you're standing in the middle of a field, and like all the trees around you are like glowing with like whatever lights they have on them, yeah. and the national and Bon Iver playing, like that's a pretty cool experience. Um, but yeah, I don't know the the show that always sticks with me is like the first show I ever went to, which was like to see this punk rock band in a coffee shop, you know. Kind of what was the band? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. I think we both, I think we both know the coffee shop. Hey, Dino. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, so it was the band was called the Pocketbook Revolution. Um, and uh, gosh, I was in like eighth grade, I think. So Fuck. the coffee shop was called Back to the Grind. Um, and it was in Merrill. And it just was this like little corner in downtown Merrill, and I'm sh- sure you're both familiar with Merrill, like in the way of like people who maybe think a little bit more progressively, or you know, are into punk rock or <laughs> or anything like that. Like it's pretty slim. Um, so we had a pretty pretty nice little corner carved out there at back to the grind and and the band played and um it just like solidified like me wanting to play music like it, i was just like i have to do this they and they went on for a couple years after that i still know the guy who started that band he's gonna master my next record for me so that's yeah that's pretty cool um so like we were uh, talking about Rockwater because we had talked earlier today yeah, no. about Rockwater, and that's what yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, it wasn't Rockwater, but I do, I did go to a lot of shows at Rockwater, and I, I, I remember being part of like the activist group that was trying to keep Rockwater there, because, um, which is really weird. In Rockwater's like final months, they were bringing in some of the biggest bands that they've ever brought in, and then, well, I guess it's not weird. Maybe you know. They didn't make any the money they thought they were gonna make on those. Um, I've totally been there. So, um, so yeah, that was that one sucked when they shut that one down. That sucked a lot. Um, 
and then the other place we frequented a lot was the the YWCA um, right downtown. There used to be a lot of. That's actually where I saw Pony play for the first time. And uh, the YWCA. Yeah, the YW. And I, I, I don't. Shows. I yeah, I don't even know. Like people ask me about it, and they're like, "What?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't remember why we were there or why there were shows happening there." Um, I would imagine it has something to do with it was probably cheap uh, to rent that hall or it was probably free. So, but yeah, I saw Pony there. I got kicked in the face at a Pony show there mm. by a guy wearing combat boots. And that, that kind of hurt. That's fine. Um, yeah, do, do you ever go to a show at the Elks Club? Yeah. Yeah. Some good friends of mine actually played in a band called Circus Fires. Um and they were from here, and they actually both live in Madison now. Uh, one of them runs Crescendo Coffee Cafe down there, <laughs> and then um, the other one, the other one, I give him shit all the time for because he's a great musician and he doesn't play anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, they were in a band called Circus Fires, and they played at Elks Lodge and I saw him with Windsor Drive which is like probably the 50,000th time I've seen Windsor Drive and I don't know why I saw that band so many times but um, they love that band in the Wausau oh yeah what yeah soccer moms really loved Windsor Drive <laughs> that was that was the thing for them they really enjoyed that you know when I met my wife she was a big fan of Windsor Drive and I tried to like I went to the shows and stuff with her and I just didn't get it like, I just didn't understand it at all. And I grew up playing shows with, with those guys in that band. So, like, they weren't always a piano rock band. Like, they were right in our spectrum of that emo, like, kind of screamy thing for a little bit with pianos mixed into it. And eventually they, they went down that kind of piano rock route. And um, But, yeah, the very first Windsor Drive shows, we played with them. And they weren't, they weren't like that. They didn't sound like that. They were cool. They were, so. they were cool. That's funny. They were, yeah. Well, I mean, they they did really become, uh, sad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. and not like sad in a good way, but like sad in a, holy shit, you dudes are wearing polos way too much kind of way. Like, it, yeah. yeah. And I grew up in the I like. I, it's weird because I, it's weird because I know those guys, like I still know them and, and some of them are good dudes, but like just not, that wasn't good music. And like it, um, it was, it was always interesting because like we, we knew Windsor Drive pulled people, like we knew they pulled people. So we would try to book them from time to time on shows just for that reason. Like, Oh, they'll bring people, you know, they'll get us exposure. And, um, I like, I'm not going to lie. Like they were just flaming assholes to deal with too. Like it wasn't a pleasant experience all the time. And, but then you could run into a couple members. Like there is, there was a couple members of that band that I really enjoy. And I still run into them to this day, and, and I think they're great guys. Um, but then there's just a, a, you know, the other half of that band, you're kind of like, yeah, you can you can piss off. It, like, it was fun because those guys were, I always, I always sort of think of that, like I think of them as inbred with Rockwater. And I don't know if that's accurate, but for me, just sort of 
the way that because uh, I wrote about them a lot for City Pages back in the day, and sort of the way they not by choice, not by choice. It was one of those things that you know, okay, you, Tammy really likes them. Um, yeah, it was it was one of those things where like they name dropped the shit. They like it was always this conversation where, hey, this is the list of the fifteen things we're doing now. You know, like they made a big giant deal one time about they had gotten a clothing endorsement from a jeans company. And they're like, we want to, that's what we want the article to be about. And I'm like, Oh God. Okay. And the thing was at some point I was out of ideas of how to talk about their music. Cause like I was, I was sort of not even like, I, at one point I compared them to the doobie brothers in an article and, <laughs> and and nobody caught it. Like I was sitting there going, you should be mad at me for that. Like that's, that's not what you want to be compared to, but it was like, okay, you guys are right up there with, you know, the bad years of Chicago and you know, the bad years of the doobie brothers. You're not quite steely Dan. And you know, and it's, it's this thing where like they really, they were really excited. And, and then they had some weird thing where they thought they were going to work with Paul McCartney and oh, wow. yeah, they, they had this, they had this thing where we're going to, we're going to go to Texas cause they went to Texas for a while, I think, or they went somewhere for a while and they, some, somebody was selling them on this idea that Paul McCartney was going to produce their record. And obviously Tammy was through the roof with that. And I'm like, Paul McCartney's not going to produce their record. That's just, I mean, do you know, yeah, do you know a guy named a guy named, yeah, a guy named Paul McCartney might produce their record, but it's not going to be the dude from the Beatles like that. That doesn't happen very often. And uh, and the soundtrack for some teen show too. Yeah. They have a track. on. Yep. They did. Well, and like the, the thing with that band too, is like one, I felt like they made the same song over and over again. Like, so, I mean, you go to a Windsor drive show, and I would leave after like three songs because I'm like, well, we've kind of seen the whole set now. Like we had a 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 fast paced song here, and then we had a little mid tempo jam, and then we slowed things down to halftime, and we we talked about feelings a little bit. I think we've seen everything, and then that cycle would repeat. It was rinse and repeat, and. Um, what always perplexed me about that was I was talking to the the singer of that band once and he was telling me how much he loved Ryan Adams. And I was like, there's not a, there's not a chance in hell. I believe that because like, how are you influenced by Ryan Adams in this last like record you just came out with sounds like what it does. Um, and, and, and now I've heard he's done, he's actually down in Nashville from what I hear doing it like he's trying to make that solo record happen and i i think he'll figure it out maybe but um yeah that band was was interesting and and it's just one of those bands that i've seen like i've been i've been to like 50 shows of theirs and i don't know why i don't know why i'm always at their shows or or you know like what's you know it's kind of like I think I've seen like Avenged Sevenfold like like five or six times, and I've never really been that big of a fan of that band. But like I'm I'm somehow I'm like always where they're playing. So it's just one of those things. <laughs> yeah. See, I always thought like Eric and I did a show at the Elks Lodge, and we had Pocketbook Revolution and who are the kids who stole the beer? Morality Crisis. Uh, morality crisis those yeah. guys were huge that one guy was so huge right so those guys i i think it was them um 
No. Was it Stall and Stall was there? Was yeah, and Stahl? Stahl and Sunspot played as well, but Oh Sunspot, yeah. And uh, You know, I, I bet I was at that show. And now uh that you're saying and, that line. And the thing was the the reason that uh the reason that I was in love with Pocketbook Revolution at the time was their their shows had an equal chance of being great or not finishing. Like yes. the wheels could yes. come off comp- like the and I, I think I'm wrong. I'm gonna have to go and look because I don't think it's morality crisis. I think it's some I think that punk band that the other band was not morality crisis because I think morality crisis still exists. So and I'm, they do. Well, in Morality Crisis used to play a lot with um, with uh, Pony back in the day. They they played a lot of shows together. I remember. Um, but I I remember being at some Pocketbook and Morality Crisis, like Morality Crisis and Pocketbook being on the same lineup. Um, but the thing with the thing with Pocketbook Revolution was that at that time that wasn't happening like at least now when you come down to Merrill or Wassa and you see Pony and you see Morality Crisis and that kind of thing like those things were happening in Wassa but the difference between Wassa and Merrill back then couldn't have been bigger like I mean it was so different the the local communities the scene the music I mean the stank was raging down here and like there wasn't any of that type of community in Merrill as far as music went. Like there was pretty much pocketbook revolution. And then the band that my brother was in, which was untold fortune. Um, and that was it. And like pocketbook was just different at the time. Like they were different and they were loud and they broke shit. And I was like, this is amazing. Like that guy just took a phone off the wall and he's screaming into it. And it's coming out of the PA speakers in the ceiling. Like, what is... And that guy, Landy, is playing a bass behind his head right now. And he's crawling on the floor through the crowd. Like, that... Like, as a young kid, I was just like, this is what I have to do. Like, I have to play shows like these. Like, um, I saw Dave O'Brien break a guitar that night. And I was like, I am buying a guitar to break it. Like, I don't even care if I can play it. I'm going to buy it and break it. <laughs> Good reasoning. So, well, and, like, honestly, like, talking to you guys right now, Dino, I think you're the only person I've ever talked to that, like, knows who Pocketbook Revolution is. Well, Eric does. Yeah, like, you guys are no, uh, like, I mean, I've never talked to people that, like, actually remember who Pocketbook Revolution was. Did we have them at the Katrina show, too? Because we had a lot of the similar bands. Yeah, the Katrina show was different. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yes, Pocketbook was at the Katrina show. Cause where'd I, you, where'd you do the Katrina show? At uh, Marathon Park. Okay. At Eastgate at the youth build Eastgate Hall, the youth building in, in Marathon Park. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I'm I'm still trying to figure out who the other band was. I because I don't think it's Morality Crisis. Because I was just looking at Minnesconti Records, and I don't I don't think these guys. They were so young, whoever they were. Like, they were, like, 15 years old and had giant... It was a three-piece band. One dude was... I mean, they were just ranceded out. Like, one guy had a stocking cap and black hair. The other dude had a giant mohawk. And, uh, yeah, they were all ranceded out. And I'm like, 
whoever they were, and I don't remember. Like I'm sure I saw them when I was judging a battle of the bands or something, and uh, and I just remember that they stole all the booze backstage, and I'm like, oh my god. And the thing is, I like by the by the time the show had started, I'd spent all the money, and we were. It was either gonna, it was either going to work or it wasn't going to work at that point. I couldn't stop anything, and I'm like, "Fuck it, you're 15. Go ahead, steal the alcohol. That's what that's what you're supposed to do, you know. I can't, yeah. I, you know. And but at the same time, I would get I got mad at my friend Rob for trying to get backstage when he wasn't playing. So you know, but <laughs> yeah, it was just yeah, it was. A, I mean, that was a great. Uh, that was the night I got to kiss Wendy. So that was kind of fun. There you go. You know, so. Yeah. Well, yeah, and those are like, I mean, that was that was my scene back then. Those shows, you know, at the Elks Lodge, at at Rockwater. Um, I think they used to do them at the Hangar, the VFW yep. Hangar, and then we also used to do them at the old Rothschild Pavilion. Yep. Um, we used to do them there too. So, and sometimes we did a, we yeah, did a show ahead. there too with jesse dayton yeah that's right we did a Hall- yeah. halloween show there yeah. i found a whole stack of those posters years ago oh, or God. not years ago but a few months ago i was no, I, so that's that's awesome that you guys were like also embedded in that because like i had no idea you know like you just not things you think of right yeah i i always like i i will never well i'm gonna admit it on the podcast but that we literally talked the the j the wasa jc's that year out of <laughs> so so here's so i was I was in my 30s, and somebody talked me into coming to a JC's meeting. And I'm not a joiner, and I'm not a service club kind of guy, but I'm like, oh, okay, I'll come because you, I like you, and you like them, so I'll come. And they started talking about, oh, we, we got to get ready for the haunted house. And I'm like, hey, what if you do something other than a haunted house? And they're like, what do you have in mind? And I'm like, my friend Jesse just did an album with Rob Zombie. I think you know he, we we could bring up his Halloween band. And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, because he had, he had done a record with uh, Jesse does the soundtracks for Rob Zombie's movies. Okay. And uh, it for for the Devil's Rejects, he they created a fake band called uh, two fake bands, actually one called Banjo and Sullivan, who were in the movie. And then another fake band called Captain Clegg and the Night Creatures, which did the soundtrack for the movie. And so we I asked Jesse to bring Captain Clegg up here because they were kind of like a, a a true rockabilly version of the misfits they had the costumes and you know they were playing nice. country music about you know really goth shit and i'm like all right this is cool let's do that and i literally talked them into doing it because i wanted to end my musical promotion career by having my friend jesse and my friend scott play at the same time in the same place and i literally just got the jc's to pay for it nice <laughs> you know that's awesome well, and see, that's the thing. I booked. I mean, I booked shows for a while, and it was a blast. Like that was the best part about it was having your favorite band. That's what all my shows were. They were always my favorite bands coming together and playing shows. It was almost like I was booking a show for myself. Yeah, you and, should. Sometime you should ask Mike Capista about that because Mike's theory is really. He's got a, an exact theory about this. He's like, you only do a show because he's only ever promoted one show in his entire life, and. uh and he, I mean, by paying for it. And he said, the deal is you only do a show if you're willing to do it and no one comes, meaning you lose, <laughs> you lose everything and you have to pay yeah. for all of it. So and I was, we I was were just having this conversation today. I was we're telling on. Eric today, 
I, I, see, I started this, I founded this nonprofit organization up in Merrill. It was called Rock for a Reason. And, um, really what I was doing was just booking bands. They were coming and playing shows. I was charging a cover and then we were donating the money to United Way of Lincoln County. Um, and what Lincoln County did with that money, I don't know, you know, what they did with it. It wasn't my deal. We were just, it just felt good. And, um, we, uh, I got a little bit greedy and I booked this band out of Minneapolis. They were signed to Victory Records um, for Letter Lie. And uh, they, had a, they came with a $500 guarantee. And then some sound guy who went by the name Fish Sticks, he came with a huge guarantee. And uh, I, I, got, I, I was like, I'm going to make a killing at this show. Like, I'm going to make so much money. And I tell you what, I wasn't a fan of any of the bands that played on that show. But I was like, I'm going to make so much money. And 70 people came. And I had to drive down the road that day to the bank and withdraw $350 out of my checking account and pay off the rest of the bands because, like, nobody showed up. I mean, I was expecting 200 to break even, and 70 people showed up. And I was like, like, I'm done with this. And I don't think I've booked a show since that. Like, I was just like, I'm out of here. Like, this is, I don't want to ever be near this stuff again. So, so I can see the, the relevancy in that statement. Like, you know, I, at that point in time, I was not okay with nobody coming to that show. And that's exactly what happened. So do you, do you, were you at the first Rockwater Fest? Um, I don't know. So at it's, the at the time, they had they were going to do a big. Show. I don't know if Eric remembers this or or was that close to it, but so they lost. It, it rained, and the the big headliner was the band Train, who I think. Yeah, I was, I was out of town then. I was, okay. Oh I no, remember that I was in town, but I was. I was not college. there, but I remember hearing about it. So they they didn't have enough money to pay Train's guarantee. They just didn't make it. And so then it was like Saturday evening and uh, Ted, Marcus and Angus's dad had to call a banker that they knew and apply for a loan on Saturday night to pay the band. Oh, my God. And I'm like, that's awesome. I think that's like if you don't like it was I had when we did the show, every show that I've ever done. I always I always walk into the room with enough money to pay for everything and not and then the door money is just extra money at the end because I got to pay everybody like my my musician friends deserve to be paid for their art and so you know Jesse came up from Texas I'm not I can't not give him his money and say oh you know the the crowd wasn't here I you know I've only ever in my life all the years at the pub and all the years of doing shows I've only ever not paid one band one time. And it was just because I, I just couldn't do it with a clear conscience. I'm like, you guys are fucking horrible. Stop paying and go home. Or stop playing and just go home. You know? Yeah. Well, and that's, so that's, and, and that's, that's like a kind of a, a stark contrast to where we, growing up, like, that's how we did it. We paid the bands by the door. Right. And we were like, look. You know, like, and we were always pretty clear about that. I mean, this one time I had, I had like eight really freaking awesome shows in a row. So I was riding high 
when I got when I got screwed out of that four letter lie show. But um, usually we were just like, look, like if the door is there, it's there. If it's not, we're sorry. Like we're going to do what we can, but that's just what you get. And sometimes people, you know, they'd, they'd come and they'd be like, well, I get, you know, you said I was going to get $3 for every head. And it's like, yeah. And like 10 people came tonight. So <laughs> you're getting 30 bucks, dude. And, and they'd be pissed about that. And it's like, well, that's what we agreed to. But so, yeah, like we never, like growing up, that's, we always, you know, whenever, and we, none of this stuff was formal either though, you know, it, it wasn't train. It wasn't a, you know, these huge guarantees. It was just like, yeah, look, we know you're, you're coming from, you know, seven cities away and you're going to need money. So hopefully people show up cause that's what your, that's where your money is. It's the door. And but in the same sense, like, the, I've always said, like, I've gotten the best attendance at shows from walking around, handing out flyers, you know, and talking to people and, and getting them excited about music and, and, and talking about the bands and talking about the music they like and, and tying those connections back together to who was playing. And um, so we've always seen really great success. So, you know, back in, back in that day, there was no like fa Facebook invite, you know, it didn't exist. Like you had to get out there and get the word out about your shows. And, and we usually have pretty good turnouts. Nice. So, yeah, yeah, that's that. I mean, late, I don't know much about the local scene anymore. I know it, there's a really good half of it and there's a really bad half of it. And it seems like the really good half is having fun. So I think, Given you and Dino, we could probably have an entire other podcast about local bands. Yeah, probably. I mean, and and I've got opinions about those for days. <laughs> so, wrapping up. Oh yeah, Jesus! Look what time it is. Yeah, right. What time is it? So my computer fell after, asleep. A little after ten. Oh yeah, look at that. Okay. So we've been going about an hour. So. As a musician, I guess, who's the biggest influence on not only your music, but your passions in music that's not directly family? Um, gosh, that's a really good question. I mean, it, as far as like influences go, there's really, um, I mean, so Tom Petty, like, like through and through i'm still not over that like and I, don't, I don't think i'll ever get over it um but like i'm just a monster tom petty fan even down to like like the unchained album um that johnny cash did uh where the heartbreakers of the backing band like even that stuff where tom petty's just playing as a session musician and i think what draws me to him is like there's nothing special about him he grew he grew up in Lake City, Florida. I mean, that's where my grandma lives, you know. Like he's he's not um he he played, I mean, he built a career on four chords essentially. Um and he had a really good backing band. Like a really freaking good backing band. So so it just goes to show you like you don't need a whole lot to be great. You just have to be authentic. Um so Tom Petty's a huge one and then Another one for me would be like, so I'm a little bit politically charged and a little bit politically motivated, which is probably pretty standard. Dino, you're probably the same way. Yeah, a bit. If you yeah, can, if, a bit yeah. yeah, 
became up in the punk rock scene. Yeah, like to me, social responsibility it goes hand in hand with being a musician. Like you just you when you disagree with something, you need to yell about it. And um, so, somebody who I think does that really well is Connor Oberst. And I don't know if you're familiar with Connor Oberst at all, but um, he's the singer of Bright Eyes. Um, I think he gets tagged as a as a um, as a as an emo as like an emo musician, you know. And I don't think he's that at all. I think he's a singer songwriter. Um, I think he plays in a band, Bright Eyes. I think he started playing music when he was like 16 or 17. So like, of course, any 16 or 17 year old songs are going to sound a little bit emo. Um, but now I honestly think, and I'm going to go out on a whim here, and, and this is going to be a bold statement, but I think in 50 years, the music world is going to remember Connor O'Burst as my generation's Bob Dylan. Like, they're going to look back on him and they're going to say, holy shit, that guy was a treasure. Like, um, yeah, that's, and a he, big, that's a big statement. Yeah, no, and I, I'll totally stand by it. Like, I think he is, I think he is a poet. I think he's politically witty. I think he, I think he's a voice for a really angry generation of folks, of, of progressives. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think, you know, in years to come, people are going to look back on that and say, yeah, this guy was like a grassroots movement. Like, yeah. Um, for a long time, he couldn't stop putting out albums. Right. Yeah. Just, yeah. It was like, I, Hey, I'm, I'm a huge fan and I, I'm trying to like, there's so many records and like the one that I'm thinking of now is, uh, there's, it's the one, I think it opens with like a spoken word piece about an yeah, airplane I'm, crashing. I'm wide awake. It's morning. Yeah. That record from front to back is brilliant. Yes. And you're it's like, one of my all time favorites. Like, cause he was at a point in his life there. Like he was screaming so brilliantly that it was awesome. Like it was, yeah. it was so like, it was so raw and he was so completely emotionally out of control. But at the same time, it was, it was really, I'm going to say it had this really great kind of feminine energy to it. And he was just wailing and it was, yeah. and telling really cool stories. You like yeah, that? And like that bit about the air. And I don't remember at all what the deal was with the, we're going to open the podcast and close the podcast with the airplane story because I just have to now. But um, I just like, that I just remembered that air, yeah, it was like a guy talking to with a woman next to him, and the plane yep. was crashing or something. And I'm like, whatever this is, I'm in love with whoever this is. And <laughs> and early on in his career, he got a big rub from Michael Stipe from REM. Like uh-huh. REM took him out on the road, and like that was you know, Mike's a little bit like that was like a passing of the torch moment, like. Hey, we're we're amazing, and you all love us ridiculously. That kid's good too. Like with Spring when Springsteen took out the Gaslight Anthem, you know that. Oh, kind absolutely. Of thing, you know, God, I love the Gaslight Anthem, Brian. Or, God. Or when the Ramo- no. or when the Ramones took out Social D, it was that kind of. Okay, you yeah. guys think we're great? Take a look at that. You know, and yeah, it's, and it's and you look back on those things like you know Mike Ness talks about that and like. You and and Connor O'Burst talks about that, and Brian Fallon talks about that, and like 
Mark Hoppus talks about how bad religion and and propaganda took them out on tour, you know, and it's it's just as like it 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 doesn't surprise me, especially with Conor Oberst. Like the guy is just he's one of my all time favorites. Like I always say, there's three perfect records. It's Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. Um, I'm Wide Awake It's Morning by Bright Eyes. And then Elsie by The Horrible Crows, which is Brian Fallon's other project outside of Gaslight Anthem. So, like, those are, to me, those are three perfect records. So, like, when you talk about influences, if I could ever make a record half as good as any of those, like, I would be... I'd be content and I'd probably put my, I'd probably burn my guitar. I'd I'd probably say I'm done now. Like I did it. I'm done. You know? So, so yeah, like Conor O'Burst is just one of my all time favorites, um, which is really crazy. I just talked, I talked loads of shit on him early in his career. And my wife was like, you're an idiot. Like, you're so stupid. You have no idea what you're talking about. And I was like, yes, I do. And she's like, go home and listen to this record. And I went home and listened to I'm Wide Awake, I'm, It's Morning. And and Dino is exactly right. Like, from that opening spoken verse all the way to the end of that record. And I was floored. And then, like, I went and bought it on vinyl. And I started reading the liner notes. And, like, Emmy Lou Harris sings all over the goddamn thing, which wow. is, like, Makes yeah, he it really, even yeah, more awesome. he was really sort of a, a boy protege for when, when, yeah, do, Eric, like this, the, the thing that we're talking about, this spoken word thing, and it transitions into him just yelling, just, just song, sing, singing and yelling at the same time. And it's just, it's, I, it, it just was one of those things where I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to like this. I am not. I don't know who the hell told me I'm going to like this. But then I put it on. I'm like, I really like this. Because See, the- that's really – that gives Dude, me that's- hope, Dino. Because um, my dad and I go back and forth with music a lot. And we, we share a lot of music. And I've yet to show him Connor Oberst because I don't know how he's going to respond to it. <laughs> like he is – you know, there's some really weird things out there that Conor Oberst has done that you're like, oh, God, what is this? And then there's like, I'm wide awake, it's morning. And you're like, this is like a traditional folk alternative rock record. Like, this is great. Yeah, but see, so. I think that, you know, for me, it's um, the the thing that has always been compelling about Conor is it, it fits an idea of what I really like in, in music. And so... Like that record, and I, and so I don't know your dad at all, but um, the the thing that I really like about mu- some or about music, sort of one of the core ideas, is I really like it when it's falling apart, when it's you know like primal and breaking, and something is wrong, and you know like if you want if you want slick, well produced songwriting, if your old man likes that, he's not gonna like that record. Because what it's gonna, no. what it's going to sound like to him is a teenage boy screaming, and and that's what it is. I mean, because that's what it is. You know, I mean, he's in. It takes a minute to get past the just sort of the the teenage boy screaming to the beauty of it all. You know, take you know you. It's it's not it's not cool. Connor runs hot, and like Bright Eyes runs hot in the sort of yeah. Um, 
He might like if if your dad likes the falling apart music, you should listen to Death Grips. Yes. God. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and like he likes Neil Young and you know that kind of stuff. And Neil Young's never been a you know Neil Young's had his his records. He's had his slick stuff. He's had his cool polished stuff. But then in the same sense, he's also had his you know his stuff that was real grunge driven and was falling apart and you know, things like that. So it's always been one where I think my, I think my dad would, would like certain aspects of it, but I think he'd probably, he'd probably be like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You know, I'd be like, okay, this one was a swing and a miss. I, I get a kick out of like talking about Neil Young because so my friend Tom Jordan literally sat home, I don't know, for like a year and a half and just listened to Neil Young every day and it, it was it was at the point where like every time i'd go to his house he and i would sit and watch the documentary the the year of the horse yeah and it's like okay like and then tom went out and bought the exact same les paul and set it up the exact same way and i'm like okay so i don't know where we're going with this but i'm, I'm glad i'm let me help you whatever this is gonna be you know thick meaty guitars i'm, I'm a fan let's do this you know and and now like and now what how it's sort of transitioned to this you know the the stoner death blues thing that tom's doing i'm like yeah it's still neil young buddy he's like yeah it's still neil young so does tom do does tom do 20 watt tombstone yeah 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 okay that's what i thought yeah okay yeah so like for for a i'm not for at least 18 months tom watched the year of the horse every day like and I that's know, a weird documentary. I know like that, that we watched it. I know that we watched it enough that we had to reorder it twice on VHS. Oh wow! Yeah, and so you know he do like, and then he went to he and I went down to Mark's or Dave's guitar shop, and Tom traded everything he owned to get the black Les Paul, and uh, you know, Amazing. and then and then Andy Zinda set it up with the. Um, it's the what is what are those called the rosy whammy bars whatever the whammy yep. yeah whatever the whammy bar that Neil uses and uh and then Tom just spent like you know 12 months diving deep into that sound you know through his yeah, and through his Hughes and I Kettner told- yeah his Hughes and Kettner amp and just then he bought a car amp and it was just like yeah we're going to get muddy as fuck and now oh yeah and now he's playing uh he's playing a Gretsch the Billy Bow tuned down through 200 watt orange amps on the road and it's just thunderous oh yeah you know and it's yeah. it's really cool and they're like like all the blues guys who we to tom came up studying with in, in wisconsin are like you you need 15 watts and a microphone and amp the mic or mic the amp and tom's at this point now where he's like i need to have this amp to at 100 watts and i need to be able to turn it up to two and have it make the sound I need it to make. And so that's how he tours. He needs he needs the power not to make volume, but to make push on the bottom. And the yeah. only in the way he finds that is having giant cabinets, you know, and oh, yeah, huge totally. amounts of power. So No, yeah. And I well and I'm totally there. I mean, I've definitely gone on um I've definitely gone on the Neil Young benders, and that'll fuck you up. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, going on a good Neil Young bender will kind of change your psych. Yeah, dude, I took (laughs) – so, Eric, I took my brother Mario. uh, So I was – 
God, I was probably 17 and Mario was maybe 11, 11, 11 or 12 maybe. And I wanted to see the Ramones. So Neil Young and Crazy Horse took out the Ramones and Sonic Youth. Oh my God. And so we, we wanted to, Mario and I wanted to see the Ramones and Sonic and Mario didn't want to see Sonic Youth at all because really no nobody wants to see Sonic Youth, um, <laughs> except, except dudes like Eric. me, you know. But he he's my little brother, so he came along because he wanted to see the Ramones. And then so by the time the Ramones are done, it doesn't matter how many times I had seen them, they're fucking exhaust. They're the most exhausting band I'd, I've ever seen in my entire life. And uh, and then we we sat down. It was at the Riverside in Milwaukee. And then we sat down, and he, him as a 12-year-old watched Neil Young and Crazy Horse. And I'm like, I don't know. I think this is going to break his little head. I think, I think I'm doing something. You know, like, looking back, I'm like, I think I might have did something wrong that day. <laughs> you know, but, yeah. but at the same time, I'm also the guy, like, uh, my ex likes to tell the story about how um, it was, there was a Rollins band show in Racine, and it was the Rollins band corrosion of conformity and the best kissers in the world and i didn't i had to work and i was busy and i didn't have time to watch the two of them and so i traded uh some skinheads for merch and i'm like here protect this 14 year old and they they like they like stood literally in a circle around him for two hours if he went to the bath it was like he was being followed by a weird paramilitary group you know, and he still tells the stories like, yeah, your uncle Dino gave me to skinheads once, you know, I'm like, yeah, that's true. I did that. So that's yep. I did that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. and, and on that, just that last note on Neil Young and crazy horse, I'm a, like, I think Russ never sleeps is, is also up there on, on some of the greatest records. And I actually just picked that up on vinyl, um, this last summer and that was top of my wish list. So to be able to get that record, um, on vinyl, cause my dad wouldn't give me his copy. Um, was that one got me real excited and I actually got that one in Stevens point. Um, and, uh, he, he had a box set that he couldn't get rid of. So he unboxed it and sold it all separately. And I walked in the store like 10 minutes after he did it. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, he's like, look, if you don't buy that record, it's not going to be here tomorrow. And I was like, all right, I'll take your word on it, man. Have so you, I walked have, out you ever ta- have you ever talked to Capista about Neil Young? No. Yeah. There's there as much as you think you're a big fan of like Tom Petty. You're not nearly the big fan that Mike is of Neil Young. Is he that? Yeah, he's that into him. He's that guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Ken, Ken. Well, and that would make sense. I mean, because whenever I'd be like, "Hey, you see, like, you know, Russ never sleeps." Come through here, and he'd be like, "Oh no, and it'll be a long shot." And I'd right. Be like, oh, okay. So, like, he seemed to know. You know, that one's not coming through. It's because he's buying them all. He's yeah. got nineteen. Yeah. Copies no, of he's got them all upstairs or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, on a final note, that we're not allowed to discuss. I have never listened to a Neil Young song. Oh, man. Thanks, Ben, for joining us. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, I can't I can't think of one Neil Young record song. Can I give you one recommendation? One sure. song. And it's not going to be any, it's not going to be like rocking in the free world. Yep. My favorite Neil Young song is Thrasher. All right. Do you know? Um, uh, what's, uh... 
It's on Faded Glory. It's uh, The Barn on the Hill, The House on the Hill. What is that song? Oh, Christ. I don't even know. So, yeah. Nope, I don't have any good recommendations. Okay. Thanks, Ben. Hey, we you could, are welcome. We could talk all night, so we're going to just shut you down for now, and we'll definitely have you back and all right. talk about some other stuff. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, this is probably good that we're ending it right now, because if we don't end it now, we'll end it at 2 a.m. Exactly. So. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I was telling Eric, my social circle isn't always like real cool to talk about Neil Young or Bright Eyes, so this was great. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Corvino, awesome. anything else? No, that's it. That's it. I'm all, all right. And we're cool. out. Well, you guys have a good night. Suddenly everything changed They're spreading blankets on the beach Yours is the first face that I saw I think I was blind before I met you And I don't know where I am, I don't know where I've been But I know where I want to go so I thought I'd let you know Yeah, these things take forever I especially am slow But I realized that I need you And I wondered if I could come home strange you said everything changed you felt as if you just woke up and you said this is the first day of my life I'm glad I didn't die before I met you but now I don't care I could go anywhere with you and I'd probably be happy if you wanna be with me With these things there's no telling We just have to wait and see But I'd rather be working for a paycheck Than waiting to win the lottery uh-huh. mm-hmm. Besides maybe this time is different I mean I really think you like me hey.